Well, hello. Welcome back. So today I am going to talk about poor little Sterling Cone, who was four months old when he died, and the time leading up to his death. And just how horrific this whole case is. So this one's going to be a difficult one to talk about and it will be difficult to listen to. So before we even start, I'm going to give you the trigger warning. Um, and hopefully I can do this coherently. Now, this information is all over the internet. Um, if you want to watch the actual um, court proceedings, those are in, on YouTube. You can look them up. But, um, yeah, this was a very, very, very difficult case to listen to. So, um, this happened, um, the date of the incident or the date that he was discovered dead was in August 30th of 2017. And, um, Sterling's parents was Cheyenne Harris and Zachary Cohen, and they lived in Lamar's, Iowa. So on the, it was like early afternoon, around noon or, or one o'clock, Mr. Mr. Cohen, Zachary Cohen, called 911 and told the dispatcher that the child was gone, meaning that the child had passed away. And so one of the first responder, responders was a woman named Tony Friedrich, and her professional credentials was that she was a nurse and an EMT and a medical examiner. So she was the first professional that came to the scene. And um, I watched her testimony. This woman was so upset about what she saw before she could even say her name. She had to take a couple deep breaths. This, what she witnessed was so traumatic to her. I don't know that this woman's ever going to get over what she saw and what she experienced. So she, she went to the scene and she testified that when she got there, um, outside the apartment building where, um, Harris and, uh, Cohen were living and they had another child named Nala. She was two. The three of them were standing outside. They were emotionless <coughs> excuse me and um I'm so sorry about that no crying they were just kind of standing around and asked where the baby was and so Mr. Cohen led her to a back room in the apartment and the first thing that she noticed when she went in is that the room was very hot very stuffy and a very strong smell of urine and um, so she went in and she was looking around. There was no crib, no baby bed, no nothing that you would normally have a baby in to sleep. The only piece thing, well, there I believe there was a car seat in the room as well, but she found a baby swing. It was an electric swing that you can put a baby in. And she found this baby in the swing. And when she looked at the baby, 
his eyes were open and he had a blank stare. And also she said that the baby swing was kind of turned so that he was facing a wall. He wasn't looking out into the room. He was turned around kind of like, almost like you would, um, imagine an old fashioned way of punishing a child by making them stand in a corner. That's kind of the impression that I got from listening to testimonies of the way that this swing was positioned. And so he had no visual stimulation while he was sitting in the swing while he was alive. But anyway, he, he had a, his eyes open, a blank stare, and there was a blanket over him and she went to move the blanket and when she lifted the blanket these gnats flew up little little bugs and um she said that she touched the baby the baby's hands were clenched in fists and he was cold and stiff and she knew that the baby was beyond saving she was originally thinking that she may have to do cpr but it didn't take her long to realize that this baby was, he had been dead too long. He was already starting, he was in rigor mortis. So um, on her way to the scene where she was supposed to be going, she had trouble finding the exact apartment. And um, there was a, a mail carrier, her name was Tina Shattuck and um, so she stopped and Tina helped her find the apartment um, so she got there and, and witnessed the things that I had just stated but one of the other things that she had mentioned besides the being stiff and rigid and obviously not breathing was that this baby's clothes were crusty and um, the blanket was wet. The blanket that she had lifted where the bugs flew up was wet. So she called the sheriff's department and another medical examiner, and that's what she felt was the next step that she had to take. Now, Tina, the postal worker, um, she was a carrier, and she had a history, although she wasn't doing it at a time, she did have experience as a ref first responder um, as an EMT, and she knew Tony from um, the past. They, um, they knew each other in the community, and she offered to help her find the location because of how she was driving. So she saw Tony going back and forth up the street, knew that she was lost, and she knew who she was. So um, Tina also noticed that the parents and the daughter were outside, and they were quiet. There was no tears think they might have been smoking well not the little girl but the parents might have been smoking cigarettes so they were pretty indifferent to at least in her opinion and how things appeared externally um to what was going on in the household with this little baby so she went into the room and she also described it as hot and smelling of dirty diapers that's the way she expressed it and she also saw that the swing was facing the wall and so she asked if there was anything that she could do to help. And Tony, the first responder, told her to go attend to the baby's parents. So she was supposed to go help console them. And when she talked to Miss Harris, uh, 
Miss Harris told Tina that Sterling was fine last night when she fed him, and she said that she had fed him about 9.30 in the evening. And so Tina, knowing, you know, it's it's around lunchtime the next day, in a four-month-old baby would need to eat well before that, and of course would need diaper changes and so on. So she questioned the mom about that, and she, you know, you mean like 9.30 this morning? And the mother said, I don't know. And uh, she felt that the mother was kind of emotionless. Now, um, during this testimony, which I watched, um, she was holding back tears and just having a very hard time communicating what she had witnessed. So she left when law enforcement came. And um, she had mentioned that she did not go in and actually look at the baby and she said that she just didn't want to have that image in her mind um, based on what she had already seen and experienced with the smell and so on and so forth. And one of the last things in her testimony was that um, I wasn't sure if she said she went back to work or she went home. But before she went wherever she went afterwards, she had to stop. She had to pull over and vomit. She was so upset by what she had seen. So the next person that came was um, Deputy Jason Russell, and um, he described the apartment and the room as being kind of messy. Uh, one of the things that he noted was there was plenty of clean diapers in the room, uh, and the room was also hot and strong, strongly smelling of urine. And when he got closer to the baby, he had uh, noted the smell of death. And um, I guess death has a, a very specific smell. You'll know it when you smell it. He also smelled air freshener smells. And they found, um, he found those little wax melt things um, by Scentsy that you put in like a wax pot. And it's supposed to make the room smell better. He found those near the baby, and he noticed that there were lots of clothes all around the room. He gave the same description of how the baby looked with the open eyes, that the, the fists were clenched. Um, he also noted that the swing was soaked with urine, that the baby's clothes and the blanket were filthy, and that there were blankets and clothing under the swing to smoke up the urine, I guess, that had run off of the baby. And he also saw gnats coming off of Sterling. Um, he noted that he found clean diapers, but there were no used diapers. Um, another person that testified was Mr. Cohen's employer. Now. He had stated that Mr. Cohen made about $42,000 a year. It was a salary. Um, and that he had declined health insurance. It was one of those um, benefits where the employer pays part of it and the employee um, paid part of it. And for whatever reason, Mr. Cohen did not get health insurance for himself or his family. And um, 
there were a couple situations where uh, Mr. Cohen had borrowed money and also used a credit card, uh, a company credit card that he was not authorized. Or he made purchases that he was not authorized. So he had money taken out of his paycheck for the um, money that he used and some money that he had borrowed. Now, um, Brandy Harris also testified. This is Cheyenne Harris's mother. And interestingly, um, when I was watching the court proceedings, there was an agreement um, that Brandy Harris would not be um, videotaped. She could be audiotaped, but not videotaped. And the reason for this was that she was supposedly getting death threats. Um, so they did not allow the videotape. So I don't know what her demeanor was like, but she did testify that Cheyenne had given birth at a friend's house in the bathtub. So she, I got the impression that she didn't even know that Cheyenne was pregnant. And then she got the call that the baby was born. So she went to the hospital, you know, they took the mother to the hospital and, um, the mother and the baby were in there for a while. And when they were discharged, they went to live with Brandy for a little while. Uh, and Brandy did go with Cheyenne to the baby's first well baby appointment. And based on all of the testimony that I've listened to, that was the only appointment that this baby ever went to after he was born. So she stayed with her mother for about a week and then she left to go back with Zach, the father. And apparently there was some sort of a conflict between Zach and the grandparents. Mm -hmm. Um, she, the grandmother testified that she never saw any health issues, um, other than the baby had a slight rash when she did get to, um, babysit him. He was only four months old, so there were, you know, some incidents, but it seemed like after, so the baby was born in, in May, I believe, and he died at the end of August, so I think around the end. June or July is about the last time when she saw the baby, based on what I could gather from testimony. And she said that during that time he did have a slight rash, but they changed um, baby wipes and used the ointment. And she said that it seemed to be getting better. Um, now, here's another, another testimony from a man named Jordan Clark. Now, Jordan Clark was a co-worker and a friend to Cheyenne and Zach, and he didn't even know about the baby. Um, he worked with Zach, and um, some of this testimony, I, yeah, I don't know how people say these things, but he did meth with Mr. Cohen at work, and he testified that he had been in the house two to three times and had done drugs in the math master bedroom. And that was so that they would be away from Nala, the little girl, so he knew about her. And that both parents did the math with him, um, but that he did not know that there was a baby in the apartment. And apparently he, somewhere along the line, started an affair with Cheyenne Harris and was actively still involved with her up until the time of the trial. There was another testimony from a lady named Sheila Schroeder, and she was from the Department of Human Services and Child Welfare Services. 
Now, she had a meeting with um, Cheyenne and Zach, and she said that the parents stated that Sterling died from SIDS. Um, when she was asking them questions, they were kind of nonspecific in times of the, that they cared for the child. Um, but one of the things that did come out was that Mr. Cohen or Zach didn't change or bathe the children. And later on in his testimony, through his trial, and they had two separate trials, but um, his trial, uh, or in Cheyenne's trial, trial, there was a reenactment of his testimony from his trial, and he stated that um, the smell of vomit and feces bothered him. He didn't have the stomach for it, is how he said it. Um, so he never changed the babies or bathed them. Um, Harris said that she used meth for about a week before Sterling's death. Um, Harris was or you know, Cheyenne, she was tearful during this interview, and Mr. Cohen was dismissive. So, um, that was her testimony. Uh, now, Dr. Dennis Klein, he was the medical examiner and the forensic pathologist. He's, he states that the denial of critical care is the cause of death, and the manner is homicide. He, he gave a really good testimony. He um, explained things in simple terms so that uh, a lay person could understand exactly what he was saying. And he went into great detail of how the autopsy was done and um, explained it very clearly. So basically what had happened was the baby came to him in a, in a body bag and the baby was still seated in the seat from the swing, so with the blanket over him. So they just picked up the whole thing and sent it to him. So he started layer by layer taking the blanket off, and he did notice maggots, yes, maggots, on the blanket, on the baby's clothing. And in the seat where the baby was, there was other articles of clothing stuffed in there, Everything was soaked with urine and decomposing feces. And he said that the smell was similar to sewage. So what you would smell if a drain backed up or if a septic tank overflowed, this would be the smell of feces that had been around for a while. He went on to explain... Um, there had been some witness testimony that there was blood or brown fluid around the mouth and nose of the baby. He explained that this was something that actually happened as part of the decomp process when you, when you die. And um, he described this diaper rash that this baby had was so severe that it had gone down the baby's thighs and up halfway up his back so this diaper rash had actually spread and this is because the baby would, had been sitting for in this filth for so long that it had overflowed out of the diaper and was into the fabric and the clothing of the seat and his clothing and the other clothing that was shoved around him and the, the blanket that was covering him.
and he found live maggots crawling on this baby. They were on his clothes, on the blanket. There were also insects that were in a pupa stage, which is very um, significant. And um, he referred the, um, the insects to an entomologist who, um, I didn't catch this person's name, but when this entomologist testified, um, he explained, oh, well, the medical examiner was, uh, thoughtful enough that he did, um, send, he sent pupa, he sent, um, samples of the maggots that were killed. Um, in other words, they were put in a solution that killed them. And he also sent live samples to the entomologist. And so the entomologist explained that this was very, very helpful because, um, not only with the pupa and the, uh, the, uh, insects that were killed in the solution, but having the live samples allowed them to actually, um, what do you call it, raise? I, well, basically he would raise the live samples to adulthood. Um, to It was just easier to identify what type of maggots they were. Um, but in, in this particular case, the insects didn't actually uh, live to adulthood well, as he was trying to rear them, but he was able to use professional resources to figure out that these were shuttleflies. And he explained that the significance of these shuttleflies is important because this is not the normal type of flies that you would find in decomposition. So when a body dies, he explained that the orifice of the body, the ears, the eyes, the nose, are very quickly found by um, what we know as blowflies, and they go in and they start laying their eggs. And using the life cycle of the blowfly is um, a common way to figure out the time of death. But there were no blowflies on this baby. Um, and these shuttleflies, is what he explained, are very common around garbage. Um, and people get them in their house. A lot of times we call them fruit flies. So they're very common. They're all over the world. They're everywhere. And um, very common around trash. But not so common around in the decomposition process. And so what he was able to determine was that the infestation was between 8 and 14 days. And that this was while... Sterling was alive, and that is mostly due to um, information collected from the habitat, habitat of the room being very warm and the absence of the blowfly. So he knew, based upon that, that this poor little baby sat there for a week to two weeks in his own filth, being eaten by maggots. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in the in the defense, they called in a, um, a psychologist who specialized with postpartum depression and substance abuse. And um, 
I only have the information for Cheyenne. I don't have the information for Zach. But she had apparently suffered from PTSD. And uh, she had this because she was supposedly sexually abused by her father. Which raises a question in my mind. I've heard this multiple times on different types of um, cases where there's a child abuse. um, And the perpetrator seems to frequently, I'll say, be sexually abused by the father. So I'm wondering if there's any correlation, and maybe I'll do a study on that. Let me know if you're interested. Um, she also had a history of substance abuse with meth, and um, this was daily or more. And the significance of this is um, people, he, he explained people who are on meth, have problems, they lose attention, they have trouble managing emotion, they have trouble staying focused, um, they have trouble monitoring their own behavior, and they are impulsive. And so that would explain the negligence of Sterling, perhaps. Um, they, the testimony, as far as the other little girl, Nala, was that she was healthy, uh, appropriately dressed. Um, there didn't seem to be any trouble with her um but then again she was an older child and maybe more capable of saying I'm hungry whereas a baby wouldn't necessarily be able to and um Cheyenne was also diagnosed as having major depression recurring and um so just to tie some other things together particularly with why one child versus another may have been able to survive, I'm going to put it that way, is because um, obviously Sterling was four months old and not able to get up and go into the cupboard and get himself something to eat. His only defense that he had was to cry. And this baby um, was also suffering not just from this severe diaperage, which is the most atrocious part of the whole thing, but he was also malnourished and um, dehydrated. And so in the case of, of being malnourished and dehydrated, what would happen to the baby as he got further and further into this is that um, he would become weaker and weaker and less able to cry and eventually become very quiet. So the only defense that he had was diminished as time went on. Um, I just, I don't know, this whole thing is just unbelievable. Anyway, so everybody gave their testimony for the defense and the prosecution, um, and the jury was asked to to um, deliberate. And it took them about four hours, and they came back with uh, a verdict of guilty and life without parole. So... I guess, I don't know in Iowa if they have a, um, a death penalty. It wasn't stated, but she did get life in prison. And so did Zach. They both had life in prison. 
uh, I don't know if that's a justifiable sentence or not for what happened to this poor child. To recap it, this little baby was born in a bathtub. Um, did not receive any medical care after he was born. Was kept a secret from everybody during the pregnancy except for when he was born and I guess whoever he had to tell you know you know as far as babysitters and, and those types of things um did not get water did not get food did not get very much attention or interaction with other human beings and was left to basically rot in his own filth until he finally passed away and um, so far, this is the saddest, the saddest case of child abuse that I've ever heard about. So I would love to know your thoughts. Uh, if you have anything you'd like to mention about this, you can send me an email at isurvivedchildhood at gmail. I'd be happy to hear from you. Sorry to have to report such a sad case but I do believe these things need to be talked about and shared and to the rest of you thank you so much for listening stay safe God bless